Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future. Welcome back, everybody. This is the second episode with Paulo Ibri, founder and CEO of 100 Foods. Paulo, so you already mentioned some challenges like having access to technology, to have plant-based foods more widely available and at a cheaper cost. Can we go through those challenges? I remember that when you know we were talking before the interview, you not only mentioned the technologies, but the cultural side as well, right? So, you know, which are the main challenges you're facing and how do you think, you know, you could over time surpass them to make it more widely available? So I will give you here like a more Brazilian point of view. This is where we are based nowadays. We are expanding to international channels in the next months. But for now, I'll give you the Brazilian point of view. So here in Brazil, the industry of plant-based meat is not that big. Like if you see Europe or the US, they are many, many years ahead of us. The industry is not that big. This makes the production chain a little bit more expensive. So the raw material is more expensive. The industries, the fabrics are more expensive to produce because they are smaller and you don't have a lot of options. The companies that work with plant-based food are also small, many of them if not most startups. So they, they can't risk 100% of their margin because of growth, as big industries can do it. And even big industries here in Brazil, like BRF or Seara, they have like expensive products comparing to the traditional category because this is still an expensive production chain. When the market grows, as it grows already in the Europe and in the US, what we see is that we are going to have lower costs during the, the whole chain so we can bring these costs to the consumer. So this is one of the biggest challenges. The second one is that the retail here in Brazil, speaking more focused on supermarkets, they are not until now 100% focused on plant-based meat. So here in Brazil, we consume a lot of animal meat. Chicken and red meat is one of the biggest consumers in the world of animal meat. So it's very difficult for us to change this culture and consumer habits during one day. It's like a, a long-term job. So when the consumer begins to be more interested to this category, to this consumption habits regarding plant-based food, then the retail will be more interested and will open the doors to more brands and work with a smaller margin. Because if we had in our industry the same margin inside the supermarkets of the animal products, we would be much less expensive. But since we are a smaller category with a smaller group of consumers, the retail puts a huge margin on top of our product, and this makes the chain even more expensive. So these are the main challenges nowadays that we are facing. You know, I'm curious, did you see any type of improvement in consumers' acceptance when we start seeing this movement of those big junk food chains like Burger King 
announcing their plant-based Whopper and, and, and doing those units just for plant-based meat. Is it something that, that helped your industry sell more? Or again, it's also you know, a very specific movement that, that didn't impact that much. And, and another curiosity, usually talking about cultural acceptance of your product, of the plant-based product, which should be your target? Like what, what's the age of the public that you think that is, that is more open to it, you know, compared to the, maybe to the other generation, right? So you have two ways of seeing it, this movement of the big companies entering in the plant-based market. Like for one side, it's good because they spend a lot of money and then communicate what is a plant-based burger that is made of plants and blah, 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 because it's a very new category here in Brazil. So this is good. So if you say like two years ago, if you said to a person on the street, I'm going to eat a plant-based burger, he or she would be very scared. Like, what the hell is that? And nowadays, if I talk to my mom, she knows what is a plant-based burger. So this is good for the industry and for segment as an overall. The only problem is, and I'm, I'm not saying like the names of the companies, I'm just saying like big topics, but when the companies focus a lot in costs and in cheaper raw material, inevitably they will have like a product that is not very good, right? So the other side that is not that good for us is that when they communicate the category and they bring the consumer to taste a plant-based product. I don't know if in Burger King or in other chain, or if they are looking in the market and they buy a more cheaper brand just to see how it is. If the consumer has a first experience that is not that good, it's very difficult for us or for the other brands that, that does like good products to put another step on this consumer and say, hey, you didn't like the first one, that it was cheap, Spend a little bit more, but you, you have like a great experience. This is the difficult. So what we think a lot is like, what happened to the consumer that ate the hamburger for the first time, didn't like it. Maybe he, he won't go to the supermarket and buy another brand to try another time because it's an expensive category. So as everything, you have the good side and you have the bad side. And yes, I completely understand you. Let's have a complete change of topic here. I read uh, at this UN website that currently family farms, they produce more than 80% of the food in the world, right? And the United Nations, they see them playing this vital role to end hunger in the future. Thinking about you know, your industry, thinking about the plant-based food chain, would it be possible to include those family farmers in the process of the plant-based food production? Or is it more a process that is more, you know, lab and science-oriented? Like, you're not going to see those green fields around, but, you know, those white tents. Uh, how is it? And can it be inclusive or not? I think it can be inclusive, but when we look at at our chain of production, like I'm the industry that does the plant-based meat for the consumer. So I, I'm at the end of the chain. Before me in the chain, we have the industry of raw material. So me as 100 Foods, we don't grab like the beans directly in the soil or as we are used to cook. 
and already turn it into meat. You have the suppliers, right? Exactly. So, so you need to process this grain, you need to process this protein so we can use in our part of the chain. What you are saying is that we need to take one step even behind so this small producer can have like a good margin to sell to the producer of the raw material so he can produce for me with the raw material of this small producer, you know, but I can buy from him directly. I need a middleman. And, you know, the plant-based industry is probably completely different than the lab-based meat industry, right? You have the plant-based one, but you also have people producing meat entirely in labs. I have no idea how much of natural food you have behind that because people even say they talk about the 3D printing meat Right? I don't know if it's 100%, how do you say, processed or if you still have the grains coming from it. I'm curious. So what's your thought regarding this whole future of food when it comes to those new technologies, you know, those 3D printers? It just sounds to me very anti-fresh, right? We still have the freshness movement of you know, going to the local producer and eating fresh food. But thinking about the future and getting food to people that don't have access to it in very remote places, it would be much easier to get those processed and lab made and you know whichever the format we are going to be inventing than getting actual, actual fresh food there. What are your thoughts on that? That's a great question. So... When we look at the, let's say, the no animal segment, we have like three different segments that are growing a lot on the whole world. So you have the plant-based segment. This is our segment, the same segment as like Beyond Meat, for example, that is a huge company in the US. When we grab the materials, the raw materials, the vegetables already processing to protein and everything, and we develop a formula so we can produce inside our industry, inside our fabrics, hamburgers, chicken burgers, nuggets, and everything. This is one segment. Another segment is what we call the cultivated meat. It's the lab-grown meat, as you said. This is made through a multiplication of genes. So it's 100% inside the lab. So you get the DNA from a chicken or from a cow, and you develop this beef or this chicken breast inside a lab. So this is like a segment that is growing a lot, especially in the US, but it's not 100% yet from the FDA, the Anvisa from the US. So the only place in the world when you can already eat lab-grown meat is in Singapore, that they are investing a lot in food techs and new technologies and everything, so they want to be pioneers. So there we had the first approval last year. So one company already is producing lab-grown meat there. It's quite expensive until now because it's not like a very scalable technology, but they are already selling it. But in the US, in Europe, and especially in Brazil, you still can do that. So I think it will be a huge segment for the future, but we have like two important barriers in the middle path. One is a cultural one from the consumers, as you said, like 
most of the consumers, as we see in researches, they will say, I prefer to eat a cow than to eat something that was grown in the lab. Because as you said, if you say it's a lab-grown meat, it gives you the perspective that is less natural than eating the cow. So this is not good. So you have a huge barrier there. And you have a, another one that is also huge, that is the regulatory one. So the FDA, Anvisa, and other organs in Europe, to approve that, you need a lot of studies, a lot of years of documentation and everything. So as I said, we believe in this path for the future, but we don't believe it will be very fast because of these barriers. And then you have the third segment that is a 3D printing. And you have many ways of doing that, but the simplest way of looking at it is like the 3D printer was my own fabric. So they grab the same material that I use to do the hamburger, but inside my industry, you put it in your house in a 3D printer and we'll do the hamburger in your house. We believe that also for the future, but the main problem there is that it's not scalable. So maybe if you are going to a fancy restaurant or something like that, and they have a 3D printer in their kitchen, that would be awesome because the plant-based burger or beef would be more fresh than coming from the industry directly. But when you, you think about in terms of scalability, it's very difficult because it's not every home that would want to have a 3D printer in their house. And you don't have like huge 3D printers to do the product and sell it to the supermarket. So this is, for me, the, the biggest barrier in this segment. You know, I even heard of, and I'm probably going to interview, have an interview about that as well, about powdered food. So they're, they're actually using powder as a source to be transporting and, and feeding people. This is completely new to me. And I'm in parallel, I'm talking to the, especially about that to see if we could cover that. But again, it's so on, on this anti-freshness movement, I completely understand sustainability part and being able to reach remote places because, you know, it doesn't, it's harder to, to, to spoil quickly, just like the fresh food does. But I think that there's so many, I think there's still a long way to go anyways, right? With the goal of, of having a more sustainable world and, and, and hunger, for sure. Going back to GMOs. So for, for the listeners that are not aware, GMO is a genetically modified food. Paulo gave us the example here in Brazil of soy. It's more than 80% of soy or 90% of, 90 of soy that is actually GMO. So having, you know, seeing all of those different movements using new technologies, do you think GMO will still be a thing? I understand that there's still a lot of questions around it because, you know, people are still not sure how safe it is and things like that. Do you think that it's, it's a sector that is going to be more developed or maybe just replaced by safer technologies, for example? I think it's a segment that will grow because the population is growing a lot and you need to find ways to produce more soy or more beans so you need some way you will need the gmo the problem is as you said is that the people that are looking for a, a healthier living to eat more healthy food more fresh food 
this kind of public of consumers will always be against something that sounds or seems like a not 100% natural thing. And GMOs are not natural, they are modified. So when you see like in Brazil, this is growing. But when you look at Europe and the US, if you put like the GMO on the front side of your packaging, you can be sure that the consumer that is looking for a healthier living won't buy your product. They are much against it. And in Europe, it's even worse. Like if you are going to export to Europe, if you are GMO, you already close a lot of doors in the start. So as you said, it's still nobody knows what is the results of eating GMO during a long period of time. Uh, we don't have this answer yet. It, it will take some years. But when looking from the consumer point of view and us as 100 foods, if we don't know the results, if we don't know what it can become and is not 100% natural, is modified, we prefer not to use it because it would conflict with our purpose as a company. So talking about your company, what's next for you? We are uh, launching, we, we are just finishing like a seed round here in Brazil. And then we are looking to expand to other territories, as I said, aiming a lot in Europe. We believe a lot in this region to the consumption of plant-based meat and the U.S. have a lot of brands. They are already fighting for price and everything. And we, we think that Europe is more open-minded for new brands, especially Brazilian ones. So we are aiming at them. We are launching around four products this year already. New category of products that we still don't have it in Brazil. But our long-term goal, as we said, is to enter in the day-to-day -day meal of our consumers. So I want them to have a launch of 100 foods on Monday. Uh, they can dinner on Wednesday, not thinking that they are eating hamburger or a chicken nuggets, even being healthier than the traditional way. We want to think that I'm just eating uh, normal food like rice, beans, and a beef. So this is our long-term goal. That's amazing, Paulo. I wish you the best of luck on your next steps. It was so great to have you back with us. I'm going to leave your final thoughts with you. So if you have any final thoughts to share with our listeners, please be my guest. Thanks again for being back here. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you very much, Maria. It was a pleasure being here with you. I just wanted to ask the listeners to try some of plant-based foods so they can have their own evaluation of the products. So thank you very much. Let's go try, people. Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future.